This is the Dennis Miller Option. Your source of opinions, stories, and laughs from comedian and inactivist Dennis Miller and his guy Friday, Christian Blatt. What's up, Hiroshi? Let's light this candle. Ladies and gentlemen, Dennis Miller! Is everybody in? Yes. Let the ceremony begin. Yes, everybody hold hands. Can you give me <laughs> soft asylum? The Lizard King. Oh. Um, Jimmy Morrison, some of his poetry. I think he wrote that after he saw the Indians spilled outside Tempe on the road, remember? But you left out my favorite. What's you that? cannot petition the Lord, Lord with, with prayer. There's only four <laughs> ways to get unraveled. Imagine you're driving with your kid through the desert. You see an Indian or whatever. I don't want to get in trouble. American, sure. Casino yeah. owner, American, uh, flipping their car over in the middle of the desert. And uh, you drive away thinking, Christ, that was weird. And dad? Yes, son. Jim, well, pee down the road here. Uh, Dad, the Indian spirit just came into me. All right, good. Let's, let's get home. We'll talk about that. He says that I can make leather pants work. <laughs> well, yes, that's true. Right. actually could. Um, let's see. Um, Julia Sweeney with us. Yes. What's happening, Tootsie? What is that voice? I don't know. I just suddenly have this voice. I hope you don't mind. This is a Truman Capodian <laughs> live long. Oh. Yes. Um, my old I just want to ask you questions. Yeah, well, go ahead. Because I'm talked out. What about grandkids? No. 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 Grandkids. Does it seem like it will happen? Yeah, sure. Kids procreate, but not at the moment. But are both of your kids in town, in L.A., I mean? Uh-huh. My one boy is a writer, and he wrote for Norm MacDonald for a while. Uh-huh. And I said to him, he's a witch, should I know about Norm? <laughs> Before he went in, I, and they grew to be friends. But I said, well, um, Norm used to call my radio show and do puppets yep. on the radio. Yep. <laughs> Ventriloquism. <laughs> I couldn't get hold of him to come on the show, but he'd call me, Dennis, I'm working uh, some uh, new material in. Uh, w- well, what what puppet are we using today? Well, this is a Spurlock, the Holocaust denier. Okay. He'd always have the weirdest yeah, right. his, uh, his name was Old Jackson, actually. And, Old and he's, Jackson. Like, he's like, oh, he's not, a, he's not a very popular one, but uh, I'll bring him out if you want to meet him. He's a Holocaust denier. <laughs> He's the norm sitting at home in his undies, no doubt watching yeah. golf, calling me Definitely. and telling me he's got a puppet on his hand. You know, it's funny about Norm, though. Did yeah. You, did you, you, yeah, I have a kind of a little history with Norm. Not a history, like, person, you know. Well, hold it for one sec, because yes. I, I, whenever you think Norm's, like, the weirdest, I told you that my brother's son graduated from a school... Uh, called Windward in L.A., and Norm's kid went there with him. And I went to my nephew's graduation ceremony and sat behind Norm one click over, and he didn't know I was there, and I got to see him in a completely unguarded way with his son. Aww. And he's like he's like Patty Duke's father. You know, Aww. all that stuff with us where it's so, you know, Dennis, this is the Holocaust denier puppet. <laughs> all that, I saw none of that. I thought, Aww. oh, there's a whole secret world out there of oh, Norm where he's just a, you know, a normal cat. Tell me your history with Norm. Well, Did not, you guys I mean, date? No, no, not date. Oh. He um, oh, good for you, he by was the way. Ter- he was mean to me on in a terrible way. Oh, on sorry. my fir- on when when his first show on SNL, there was a sketch, and they wanted to change something, and I didn't want to change it to that line. And he came up to me in the makeup chair and said, "Your problem is you're not funny. You're just not funny." He said that to me. I'd been on the show for four years. 
He was just started it. I think it was his first week. Okay, there's a better part of the story. So then, of course, I didn't like him. Norman can be rough. I really didn't like him. And then I was about to leave the show anyway. It was like just one more reason to get the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. And um, but I was very very good friends with Lori Jo Hoekstra, who he was always you oh, know right, right. very much their friends and she's, for yeah, years. Friend, I don't even know if very... that is the woman in his life. Yeah, or I, is she... I don't actually even she's know. She's his handler. Um, yeah, Lojo, as he refers to her. Lojo. And she's been with him for like <laughs> for a million years like, since back then at, at SNL yes. in like ninety three. Yes, yeah. and I always loved Lori Jo, and it was it was a very tumultuous um, friendship then and um and i just really didn't like him and then i left the show and i just really didn't watch anything for years but some people would talk about how funny he was and i would see him occasionally and i wouldn't i had a bias you know obviously because i had this traumatic thing then at the 40th reunion norm came up to me and he said i just have to apologize to you that was a terrible thing to do i can't believe i did that terrible thing and i said oh and then I, that meant a lot to me. And then after that, I could watch Norm stuff. And I realized he's hysterical. Yeah. Okay, so I, so I, it was like I was able to emotionally let it in how great and funny he is. That's an interesting comment on yeah. there is some gateway to your sense of humor that goes through personal I know, feelings. that's embarrassing because it's very no, no, narcissistic. No, but that's everybody, though. I mean, like. Christ, I can't <sighs> tell you how uh, people just hate my humor now. And I think, oh, that's a pretty good joke. And I'm trying. <laughs> I try to figure it out, like sometimes, where somebody right. will over like a joke and somebody right. will yes. under like oh, a yeah, joke. And yeah, I, yeah. I, I'll see the finer gradation yeah. that that was a decent joke. It probably should have right. hit right in here. And I could see, I said, oh, I see. It really isn't an involuntary gesture. There is some right. uh, price of admission to get through to really convulse somebody. Yeah, and it's that's about true. their biases towards yes, you. Yes, it's true. Well, I'm glad Norm came around because that yes. seemed like a particularly, he was probably scared shitless too. Everybody's yeah, a little you know, scared over yeah, there. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, no, I mean, I'm sure I've had bad moments there as well. We're with Julia <laughs> Sweeney. Her latest one-woman show is called Older, and I've gotten the green light on this. I thought it was a misprint. Older and Wider. Yes. And her website is juliasweeney.com. When I, we, we did Larry King's show together uh, recently, and uh, when I got to that on the prompter, I said, you better just say older and wiser, because that could be a typo. <laughs> it's so funny, because actually my husband came up with that line, and I was saying to him, I want to do a new show, but I want to have a title that's something about, like, I'm wiser now because I'm older, but I'm, but it, but it's going to be funny. And then he said, um, older and wise-assier. And I said, oh, that's funny, except that I'm not a wise-ass. That really doesn't describe my kind of humor. And he goes, yeah, and he goes, older and wider. And I started laughing so hard. <laughs> I couldn't stop. And then title. Michael said, phew. I'm so glad you laughed at that. He goes, when I said that, I thought this could really go either way. And I'm glad you like it. And I said, I love it. I love it. Oh, that's funny. And it is so witty. Jeez. Uh, but I, I, yeah. I can see that is a risky That's to a push risky chips thing in too. on that. Yes, you to don't pitch quite that know to your what, wife. You don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, her website is juliasweeney.com. And my Twitter I handle. know. I've got a J is back in town. I have 900 Twitter followers. Well, We're listen. We're going to make that 901 right exactly. now. Exactly. If I don't have 10 more Twitter followers <laughs> at the end of this podcast. Not J, J-A-Y, simply the letter J is back in town. So I, just I think if you the... search me, I don't know. I don't know how it works. I'm terrible. By the way, you have 965 followers. <gasps> so don't sell that's so close short. to 1,000. Yeah, that's pretty then good. Then I'm going to back off. I don't <laughs> yeah. want more than 1,000. Don't let, don't let it go to your head. <laughs> what do you make? Are you of two minds on social media? It's kind of yes, fun, but yes. it's also kind no, of a I, drag. And also, I had a, I had a terrible stalker, so I had a 
terrible experience. And then I shut down all my social media and I wasn't even going to be a performer anymore for years. So I know I've just introduced a heavy topic, but I had, yeah, I had a stalker hoaxer that was really traumatic. What was his name? 966? Oh. <laughs> no, it was a her. It was a girl. It was a girl. Anyway, it's too long of a story. Just know that I got scared of social media. On the Isle of Lesbos. Um, <laughs> Julia, um, I, I guess this is yes. so weird because we just talked. Right. I, 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 I try not to act like I'm in some alternative space <laughs> with people. I just did Larry King with Julia. But it is a different audience. But some of the stuff was so uh, interesting. Yeah, we've we can go. do it again. I don't mind. I'll have a different answer. How that, about that? There you go. I'll find out everything I thought <laughs> was sincere in there. It was just well acted. You're a different person every minute. That person I did that interview with 10 minutes You've ago. You've evolved. I, I have see completely that. different feelings about everything now. <laughs> Um, I'm not fishing here, but us meeting. But uh, when you first got to SNL, I remember when I first got there, I walked around in a bluff mode the whole week, acting like I knew what the hell had happened to my life, but I was scared shitless. How were you when you first got there? Okay, when I look back on it, I don't even think of that person as myself. Yeah. I think I just thought, yes, this this is what's happening to me, and it should happen to me. It wasn't like arrogant, but it was just like, yeah, I'm this. I remember feeling this will make me seemed like a crazy person maybe because it wasn't like I wasn't humble I was totally appreciative to be there mm -hmm. but I felt like this was the job that used all of my skills right. you know like there wasn't anything I'd done in my life that couldn't feed into this job good impressionist on your audition tape but plus also, character and work writing and, and also thoughts about the world like everything mm -hmm. you know even my accounting <laughs> my, even my accounting Jesus. background <laughs> Cross collateralized for Columbia Pictures <laughs> yes, way back in the day. That's heyday. right, way back in the day. Uh, Frank Capra had lost it all at Atlantic City on five consecutive hands of pie gallons. She she refeathered the nest. Exactly. <laughs> Tell that um, story because we didn't really have time. Okay, so I worked. Well, wait, finish okay, well, SNL, then we'll get the Capra. Yes, come on. Because I, I, I know the in. people want to hear the accounting stories. That's what yeah, they listen to you for. That's a story to me. <laughs> um, SNL, no, I felt. Um, I just felt like, yes, yes, Where you should be. yes, I should be. I didn't feel like I shouldn't be there. I didn't have insecurity like that. But I also didn't have arrogance. Right. I, I just felt like when I hear other people talk about feeling like a fraud, I never felt that way. And I'm not saying that as a bragging thing. In some ways, maybe I should have felt that way, you know, like, but I didn't feel that way. Oh, it I sounds felt like, like you set a nice base. It sounds like you, there was a book in the 60s called The Peter Principle. Oh, yes. And it says, you rise to your level of incompetence. Is, uh, yes. yes. And uh, it sounds like you had established a sound base where you were not yeah. egotistical, but rather egocentric. Well, yeah, maybe that. And I felt like, yeah, things could go wrong and I could be off of here in a minute, but... I feel good about it. God, I feel really happy. It's ironic that uh, you had this sort of pragmatism pre all these things that happened to you. Yeah. And this, I mean, I think I was a, I think I was a stoic and didn't know it. Um, <laughs> because now that I really read a lot of stoicism philosophically, I realize I had that already. Like a lot of it is very familiar to me. Just that's just part of my personality, which is good. A lot of it isn't that I need to learn, but some of it. Thinking, not catastrophizing, like not being worried things right. are going to go bad, but just knowing that really bad things could happen at any minute to you or everyone or anything is a very practical way of going yes. through life, life. And it really does mitigate a lot of hysteria. I think I told you <laughs> that Marty Short told me he was always the most happy elf 
And God knows Marty's had trouble visit his life. Uh, the ultimate trouble we lost is uh, beloved bride Nancy. But he's always so ebullient. And yeah. even now as he's re-healed up again, he's yeah. back to that. But obviously you get caved in by that, the loss of your spouse. But I always said to him, Marty, you're so uh, up and happy. How do you do it? And he said, well, the, the math of life dictates it does get shitty eventually, and I'm not going to give it any extra days until it does. Oh, and I always thought, I wow, that. that's such a lucid observation. That's a good thing for me to hear today, actually. Why, well, baby, okay? Yeah, no, I'm fine, but I mean, I well, this is, don't you feel getting older? Now, how old are you? Is 65. That okay, so I'm turning 60 in October. Mm-hmm. I think it's fantastic to get older, except for the bad part about how you're, you know, older and your body's breaking down. But other than that, isn't it great? Because like when you're 60, I feel like you see the end. Like you can touch, Mm -hmm. like even if you live to 90 or 106. You're two thirds in. You're, (laughs) it's within view now. Mm -hmm. And that actually makes you so much more appreciative of everything. Like I really do have that feeling like we're a wildflower that's blooming right now and soon it'll be gone. Mm -hmm. And um, I feel much, I have a much more equanimity in my life and much more practicality. I have huge, of course, I have deep sadnesses and regrets and wishes like everyone. But I also do feel much, I would say for sure every year I'm happier. For sure. It sounds like your inner accountant is doing some more cosmic tabulation here as you, <laughs> yes. as you turn six. Well, and also like just all these things like, um, you know, climate catastrophe around the corner, in my opinion, and even just the earthquakes we had in the last week. Um, man, it really can all be gone. Like it's really, this is a very special, we're in the bell epoch of our lives and maybe in the era too. Do you think there was anybody on the earthquake ride at the Universal Studio Tour when it hit? And did oh they God. think did they That's think so it was funny. the ride of the lifetime? That's so funny! Oh my God! Why aren't you at the comedy store tonight? You have you just already. No, Come I, t- on. I took his stage time, and I'm not giving it up. Sorry, okay. Dennis. Yeah. It's just like you're sitting there, and you this is so real, honey. Look at that paper mache beam coming. I mean, it just cleaves the guy's fucking head off, and the okay. wife goes, "Is this part of the ride?" Look, can I? But Dennis, there did have to be somebody on that ride at that moment. I know. And uh, God knows I was on, uh, I had a mako shark gnawing on my right leg at the exact moment Bruce from Jaws came up on the other part of it. A little less than a 7-1 quake, but nonetheless, it was troubling for me. Um, Tell me about the groundlings. I I always get good groundling stories from my friend John Corbett. Oh, who yes. was uh, worked the oh, light wow. booth? Yes! Oh my God! Isn't that funny that John's such a dashing leading man? I go, what's your first break in show business? He's like, I worked the lighting booth at the right. Grand Lakes. <laughs> That's true. Oh my God! Well, I was an accountant, as I said, right. and I was, I knew to, I had been working for a few years, and I knew to get ahead. I ha- they came to me and said, we could promote you, but you have to have an MBA or a law degree, so we could even help you pay for it. So they were enthusiastic about mm-hmm. me. And I had this real um, existential moment of like, yay, except I don't really like accounting. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm I'm good at it, but I don't like it. And and also there was only two weeks of vacation here. I couldn't handle that. The whole idea that you go to an office every day and you're just right. there and you get this teeny it's vacation. It's a little too strict or way too strict. Yeah. And then, and then I have to visit my parents in Spokane, Washington. Like I can never go anywhere. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> so I thought. I was funny in college. Mm-hmm. I like to be funny. And I did a kind of stand-up thing at my sorority. It's embarrassing now to even think of that. Um, and I thought, well, 
maybe I'll just take a class. And I read a review of the Groundlings Sunday show. And at the end of it, it was in the LA Times that said they also teach classes to non-professionals. And if they had not said non-professionals, I would never have gone mm-hmm. there, ever, ever. So I went to the Groundlings. I signed up. Um, I had this great guy, Randy Strong, was my first teacher. I still had never seen a Groundling show. I just was signing up for the class. And it was like there was lawyers in the class, people who just wanted to learn how to improvise better for their careers. It wasn't to be Mm -hmm. a comedian. And really, I loved it so much. I just, it was insane and frightening how much I loved it. Like, it was like, you know, when you find your thing. Yes. But, by the way, I wasn't even that good at it. You know, like, you can find your thing and not be good at it, okay? And That's an interesting... I hadn't yeah, thought of that, but it's very right. true. It isn't really correlated with ability. Yeah. I mean, you because you get the ability because you like it, but you still have to put in the hours to get right. good. You know, like, you don't just come good. Yes. And there were times... There was two times in that first class that I drove into the parking lot and didn't go in because it was so powerful for me to just be in the room with these funny people. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the session... Randy said, um, you're really on the cusp of somebody I would pass or not to the next level. Hmm. And by the way, I didn't even know there was another level. Like my naivete. Right. I was like, oh, there's another level. Oh, yeah. there's a pass. Like I thought it was just a class. OK. And he said, but I'm going to have you repeat basic again because the next time you're going to be one of the better ones and that's going to change your life. Hmm. You're going to really get confidence from that. The next class, Phil Hartman taught me. And he was such an incredible teacher he just, my head exploded with the way he could, because not not very many comedians are funny and can t- understand the workings and mechanics of why they're being funny, mm-hmm. like Phil. Like he could, ex- he would do these exercises where you take a member of your family you know really well and a Warner Brothers cartoon character that you like. So like Bugs Bunny and your aunt mm-hmm. and and really intricately marry those two things and come up with characters that way. Like just blew my mind, like that there was a method to the madness of comedy I couldn't believe. And that's how it all started. And the Groundlings is still like my home. And I'm still doing improv shows there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I never had the ability to do that. Isn't that funny? I can talk about things and go off on tangential things. Right. But uh, Lauren would take me when the first year I was there, he'd take us over to do improv classes. in. What? Uh, really? Yeah. All of them. And, you know, Phil wasn't there yet. So, uh, but it was... Uh, Robert Downey Jr., Anthony Michael Hall, Randy Quaid, Denitra Vance. Lovitz was great at it. And it would get to me, and I'd get one line out, and then I would default to uh, an Arcania or an right. odd reference right. or a, a witticism or right. an attempted witticism. Yeah. And John would always say to me, you, you don't have to try that no. hard. And, and that must be but a that, great moment when that bulb goes on. Well, especially for me, because I'm actually not witty. I'm not a witty person. My husband is actually really... Well, and I'll he's, say he's older a, and wider. Yes. <laughs> but not only that, my show, I would say at least a third to half of the laughs in my show came from him. He's got this... He's a scientist, actually, but he understands the algorithm of comedy. Mm-hmm. But I... But he doesn't have what I love, which is what if this character was stuck in a room with this character and they couldn't leave each other? Like, that's what I think is funny. But I don't think of funny lines. But I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it. So it's kind of great that I'm married to him because he's always saying, you know, it would make it better. And he has a great idea. It's perfect. He comes in with the flourish after you lay down the base coat. And that's all. You know, we've been together now almost 13 years. And this is only in the last year and a half that I realized how funny he was. And he would come to my, when I was working on Older and Wider, this was at Second City in Chicago. I worked on it for six months there every Sunday. He would come with a little notebook and write down ideas for jokes. And it was so funny. Like, he's never, he's a, he's like a real scientist, scientist. Like, this What's is his com- branch. 
his um, biophysics and he makes a camera that you shoot, use x-rays as a light source to shoot through crystallized protein I molecules. Bob Crane made that. <laughs> oh, God. That's a good joke. I'm going to tell him that when I get home. <laughs> yeah, he makes a very high-end camera that looks at the structure of matter through protein crystals. And they're used at synchrotrons around the world. So his cameras are like at Stanford and in Lucerne. Well, Lucer when you lost like your religion. And, uh, and you told me that on the Larry King show that yeah. you're an atheist now and you were raised Catholic. But yeah. when it, when it, when the curtain came down, I, I, I love the fact that uh, uh, a physicist began to be catnip for you. Oh, yes. That's well, actually, we met a little bit because of letting go of God, because his brother wrote me a fan letter, the headline of which was desperately seeking Sweeney-in-law. And he said— um, Sweeney-in-law. <laughs> they, they are clever. Yes. He said— um, my, I'm writing to you to propose marriage to you on behalf of my brother, who doesn't know that I'm writing to you, but he's a scientist who lives in Chicago and describes what he did. And his big deal breaker with women is they can't be religious in any way. Personally, I think that's a little harsh, mm -hmm. but everyone has their deal breakers. That's his. And, it, and then it went on. It was a very, very funny letter. I read it. I was working on Desperate Housewives at the time as a writer. I read it to the guys next to me in the office next to me, and we all thought it was funny. But then I thought, I guess I'm not. So I didn't respond to it. Months went by, um, and I was in New York doing Letting Go of God, and I came out, and this woman said, a friend of mine wrote you a letter proposing marriage on behalf of his brother like six months ago. And I was like, oh, yeah. And she goes, I just want to vouch for those two brothers. I've known them since high school. They're really funny. You should write the brother. And I was like, maybe I will. And she's like, you should. I was like, maybe I will. <laughs> but I didn't because it's weird, right? It's wow, weird. It's this weird. Was meant then to it happen. was almost a year later. I was doing the show here in L.A., and I came out, and there was this handsome guy waiting, and he said, I wrote you a letter like a year ago oh, proposing nice. marriage. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I was also in the in the middle of an icky flirtation that I was knew was going nowhere. And um, I was like, well, maybe I will write your brother. And he was like, no, don't write him because he's an asshole. And he, as soon as he found <laughs> out, yeah, I know. And he goes, because when he found out I wrote you the letter, he got so mad, it escalated, now we're not speaking to each other. So I was like, what? And he goes, yeah, it's like been become a whole family thing oh. that I wrote this letter. So I went home, found the letter, wrote to Michael. And so the purpose of me writing it was just like, don't be so mad at your brother. It's okay. It was a very well-written letter. And, and, you know, let it go. And then, oh, and by the way, what kind of science do you do? Okay, a little flirty. Okay, then he wrote back three days later. The subject headline was, I am mortified. Then it was like, when I found out that my brother had written you that letter, I just hoped you had some efficient assistant who would delete a stupid letter like that before your eyes ever went on it. And then it was like, sincerely, Michael. And I was like... Buddy, I'm a hot chick. <laughs> Ask me some questions. Right. So then, <laughs> then uh, I said so I said something back. He said something back. We started emailing back and forth. This went on for a while. Then I was like, you know, this is just a good story. You know, I don't even know what this guy anything. So I said, you know what? I don't want to keep this emailing thing going. Next time you're in L.A., um, let's just have lunch. And then he wrote and said, um, why did I never go to L.A.? And then I wrote back, okay. <laughs> now, knowing him now, it's so hilarious and so in character. Okay. Um, and so then apparently, though, he talked to his brother and his brother was like, dude, you're a, well, you know, like you're a successful guy. Get on a plane and go to L.A. and right. take this woman to lunch. And so then he wrote back a few days later, I guess I could come to L.A. And then I was like, then I was like. 
oh, like when? And he's like, I don't know, tomorrow? And then I was like, oh, oh no. Too soon, no. too soon, too oh soon. God. Oh my God, oh my God. So there was many hiccups along wow. I was like, okay, we're meeting at a restaurant and I don't want you to know where I live. And then, oh no, we had we arranged a phone call. So I heard his voice for the first time. And I said, well, I don't want to tell you my address. And then I hear click, click, click. Okay, but is it blah, 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 blah. And I go, oh, and he goes, oh, I just want, I would never go there. I just want you to know, it's very easy to find your address on the web. <laughs> and I go, I go, oh, oh, it is. And he goes, yeah, I mean, you know, you should take care of that, you know. And then I was like, yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> so we finally have a date. You guys were married before you ever met. Know, exactly. Exactly. Um, so we finally have a date. He's unbelievably great he's charming and funny and sweet and brilliant and boy you gotta follow threads don't oh you in life because they said a bunch of ways like, to not happen no and... i know there are so many ways and i really feel like he's really like a diamond that i found under a rock that's how i feel like how is this man available and how is this man you available? went back to chicago right so we got married two years later in i had a, a fever hotter than a pepper <laughs> sprout <laughs> And um, I had already, you know, as a single mom, I adopted on my own. I adopted my daughter from China when she was 18 months old. She was about six when I met Michael. She was eight when we got married. He adopted her. And um, wow. as I like to say, he said, he came to me and said, if you are willing to come to the Chicago area for 10 years until Mulan graduates from high school, I can be their breadwinner. And I realized for the first time in my entire life, someone was asking me if I could be the bread eater. <laughs> <laughs> and I love bread. Thus older and wider. Okay, I just have to tell you, that's Michael's joke. The bread eater. He goes, you're the bread eater. And then, then now, now Michael's retiring and I'm working. Actually, I'm on two series right now. We could talk about that. Tell me, tell me, tell okay, me. Anyway, I love it. Now, I hope that whole last 12 minutes is in a show. No. The very, oh, Julia, geez, no, no, the very last thing about the bread eater is in older and wider. But other than that, I don't tell how we met or Julia, anything. Julia, do you do a podcast? No, I want to do oh, one. You have I to was, do I this. Gonna, I, I'm okay, already thinking I need to The podcast I want to do, who, no yeah. one would listen to. And I keep trying it out on people and everyone goes, yeah, I'd never listen to that. Why, I literally why don't know anyone. Why would you just talk like you just did? Well, this is, I want to talk about Catholicism. I understand, but I uh, want it to be all about Catholicism. can't you make it a pastiche? I mean, that story was just electric. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. the starting point from the story well, is you not being like Catholic Like even Billy anymore. Corgan liked it yeah. over here in the corner. Billy Corgan, that's good. He gets that a lot, actually. Um, I want to do a podcast called Michael actually came up with the title and the byline. So we want to talk to Michael about yes, him doing no, the podcast. Yes, no, no, Michael's so funny. Okay, it's called Catholicism, spreading yes. the seed of doubt. Yes. Come on, Catholicism, spreading the seed of Lindsay, doubt. Lindsay's a good Catholic school girl. She yeah. loves it. Can I please be your producer? Please. No. Okay, this is, first of all, I, I go to church too. I go to Catholic churches. I don't. I think you should become an atheist and stay in your religion. Because this I... Is not a, would she not be no, perfect at this no, job? Perfect. No, because I think there's so much good to come out of organized religion. The, and there's so much benefit to it. Just because there is no God and all those stories are fake, why should that mean that you not go to church anymore? If I was your husband, I'd say, well, what about disorganized religion? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Sounds like a mic joke. Tell anyway, me, okay. what series is he? Are you, I didn't know this. Yes. I wish I'd known on Larry. That I know, nobody I told said me. Something. You know what? I'm so terrible. I'm the worst at self-promotion or 
even having a bio. Yeah, well, I'm a little sheepish <laughs> about it too, but uh, I'm you're on Eddie Bryant's show, right? I'm on, hmm? yeah, shrill. So, Eddie Bryant, who's on SNL right now. Go slow. Um, uh, how do we know that? Eddie Bryant. She's, uh, she's Sarah the, Huckabee she, Sanders. She, oh, okay. She's, yes, she's so funny. Mm-hmm. Um, I play her mother on the show, and Daniel Stern plays her father. Oh, he's great. Yeah, isn't he great? And God, so, we're going God. to Portland. Actually, next week, I'm going to start shooting the second season. That's so exciting. And then there's this other show called Work in Progress um, that's going to be on Showtime. And I'm playing myself in it because it's all about a woman. Um, well, she calls herself a fat dyke. That's her own description of herself. Mm-hmm. And she's hilarious. Abby McEnany is her name. She's the funniest. Oh, my God. I love her so much. But in real true life in high school, she's traumatized because she looked just like Pat. Pat was really popular then. And I kind of like ruined her life in high school because everyone just called her Pat at the high school. And in the episode, um, in the pilot, she sees me in a bar when she's on a date and like has a very traumatic experience. And it turns out I become friends with her. So I'm, that's how I'm in that show. Isn't this funny the, how things that we did and it doesn't seem that long ago are now in the, the mythology. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, they, yeah. they become cultural touchstones. Well, yeah. in high school, she looked like Pat. Right. And I, Actually, I just yeah. remember being at the table where you'd say, oh, that's funny. That's quirky. <laughs> right. No, it's weird. Well, you don't realize how much SNL is part of the popular culture. And like a big, like I'll never be in the popular culture like I was then. I mean, that was, don't you think that? Like that oh, was. The, you're right in the belly of the beast. Yeah, there. you're right there. And I don't think I fully appreciated it till later, till you went out in the street and it's like, oh, yeah, everyone knows about this character and everybody knows about the people who are on the show. And it's like I learned over many years that how popular it really was. Yeah, I remember the first time anything weird happened to me. I was at the base of the Acropolis in uh, or what, what's the one up on the hill? Is that the Parthenon or is that the Acropolis? I don't know, that big shitty building up on the hill. It's not shitty. Well, no, I'm saying it's, <laughs> they haven't taken care of it. You, you got to. You gotta try to connect to the Wi-Fi. Put some homework. You gotta gotta be more sympathetic towards the Acropolis. (laughs) You gotta put some Homer Formby products on it occasionally (laughs) and keep it keep it moisturized. But I'm standing down at the bottom of this super cool cat who looks like uh, Francois Truffaut or uh, Philippe Genot, who was married to Princess. You know, very cool looking European cat pulls up in like a red uh, Peugeot. It's a convertible. And he pulls up to a stop sign. I'm standing there like, oh, goofy. I probably had shorts on and a band lawn or something, the quintessential <laughs> American. And I'm, you know, uh, gym shoes and crew socks. And I'm about to go up to see the building. And uh, he looks over at me. And then he starts to pull through the stop sign. He stops. He takes his shades down. Very cool. And he looks over at me and he goes, I, I, I'm doing on radio so you can't see it. But the flourish I did at the end of the news, he looked at me and went, <laughs> And I, saw, I can't believe I'm, it was the coolest Aww. moment. I'm in Athens and a guy knows how I sign oh off the news. It was a, 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 how great is that? Yeah, it was a big thrill. You really, when you're in there, you're in the uh, the the fire every week. You kind of know what's happening out there. But I remember uh, everybody has their the thing. I went to dinner one night, and uh, I'm sorry, you'll love no, this no, no, story. I but love I, uh, Shatner was the host. <laughs> This is before I was there. Yeah. Well, I, I, I realized what an odd dilemma Bill Shatner's life is because he right. fancies himself 
And he was quite a good actor when he was young, when you see him in that Twilight Zone segment. Yeah. Or there was also a movie he did with, uh, who was the cat who never paid anybody money, uh, made cheap films all his life, Roger Corman. He did a great Roger Corman film about racism in the South. He's quite great in it. and uh, he plays the heroic guy who, uh, sort of like Atticus, right. uh, not quite that myth- mythology, but he's great in it. So he's got chops, but you can see that while he fancies himself a baronial lord who likes to ride horses on the farm and then gallop in to do a little Joe Pap in the park once a month, he he's known for being the captain of a spaceship. So right. Dana and I go to right. dinner with him one night. We go out in the 30 Rocket Science Center. It's one of those nights where it's a summer night and you realize the entire world is alive and we're going over the steakhouse Aww. and it's kinetic people moving and he is shutting it down man i'm talking about people stopping cars and wow. captain kirk and they all know him but they know He's him as captain kirk because they're they're seeing him yeah like they're, they're blown away and i can see what an odd life it is for him because he he is half throwing up the vulcan live long and prosper thing he doesn't even bring it above his hip and i right. go i go is that all you give up anymore bill <laughs> You don't even, you know, like people go, hey, Captain Kirk, the insiders would go, James Tiberius. And he would just pull his hand up and go like this. He wouldn't even split the two fingers on the left hand. You know, he'd just throw him that. I go, is that all you give up anymore? He's, what do you want me to do? I'm not Kirk. And I said, yes, you are. Even as you deny you're Kirk, you're Kirky. You know, he gave me that look with his hands like, okay, but this is my question. He could have disguised himself. I mean, he could have worn a hat and changed his expression or wear some glasses. Hat. Like Christ, he had a rug on that looked like a fucking triple. <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is I think he wanted to be recognized. Well, but, uh, maybe, I don't you know. You have control over that. People have control over whether he, he they're should have his, uh, He his wasn't haunted rug. by being known. He was haunted by being known as Captain Kirk. Right. That's all I'm saying. But you know, I, he wasn't completely... So if everybody had been young, T.J. Hooker, uh, uh, he would have been like, yeah, those are my people. Well, yeah. just think of the Big Bang Theory <laughs> Sammy Joe! <laughs> but I mean, there's. I think there's these certain accidents. You can be a great actor or not a great actor. You get... You, something happens. You're in a show that goes, you know, makes sense to go. And then you're that character. I mean, that's it. That's it. Well, I'm going to believe me, I'm strict adherent to that because I never see showbiz as the far shore. To me, it's a lily pad. Uh-huh. Kind of a fun one, but kind of dangerous if you slip. Right. I'm always looking for the next dry pad to hop over to <laughs> yeah. and get over there incrementally. You know? yeah. So I, I've never had any delusions about show business. I've had fun with it, but I know it's bullshit, too, in a lot of ways. But uh, Wow, I, I, I love... I love that about him, though, and the night and everybody recognizing him and him having such conflict inside about it. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah. But he had gotten it down into just keeps moving <laughs> like that. And then, and then we ran into a horror and had a green drink. Um, <laughs> we're talking to Julius Sweeney. By the way, um, yes. uh, speaking of SNL, yes. I'll be performing. <laughs> Walter Brennan has walked in, oh. ladies and gentlemen, from the room of course. You ever been stung by a dead bee? <laughs> <laughs> and that's my Walter Brennan. It's not very good. No, it's the best. <laughs> ever got stung it's by a dead best. bee? <laughs> Pepino. I remember when Pepino wanted to become 
an American citizen. That was their field hand on the farm. He had to memorize the fucking Constitution. <laughs> was that brutal? He had to go, you know, and they didn't think he could pull it together because he was cleaning the silo all day or something. And then he stands up in front of the... It's funny when you watch those old sitcoms, like you'll see people turn up. I remember watching one night uh, Andy Griffith show where uh, it was 11... Aunt B had jury duty and 11 people oh. wanted to do this guy in for stealing a TV set out of a store window in Mayberry. It was called. Uh -huh. And uh, only one Aunt B held out. Oh. And uh, you don't see the guy. I mean, he's peripherally in the thing, but he's just the defendant. And then he, at the end, he comes up to thank her, and it's Nicholson <gasps> with his hair. He leans in, and he's oh he God. might as well be uh, he might as well be Jake Giddens because he leans in. He goes, "Thank you, Aunt B." Oh and, my uh, God! Well, I always thought that you were innocent <laughs> from the very beginning. <laughs> that was the energy. It was like. Where where wow. worlds collide. Who would think? Oh my gosh! Uh, yeah, everybody's got to make a buck at the beginning. Speaking of it, and speaking of SNL, and making yes. a buck, David Spade and Nora McDonald, who turns out to be a good guy, uh, and I are performing yes. at the Windstar oh. World Casino in <laughs> Thackerville, Oklahoma. Oh, I, I'm I, coming for sure. It's around an hour north of Dallas. Well, listen, you've always had Dallas. I know you and Kate Hepburn like to get out early yes, and swim in the right. cold water. and uh, then you, you, you. No, but she's Connecticut. <laughs> I, know, but I always loved that the first thing she would do is go out and dive into a dangerous body of water when it was 32 <laughs> degrees and uh, earn her Kateness. Thackerville, Oklahoma on Friday, August uh, 30th. Oh, wow. Now, listen, you were talking earlier about the 40th anniversary. I want you guys to start including me in these shows in the casinos. Well, listen, I, on. I did a show. You need uh, a girl in there. Uh, I can talk above the ching-chang of the casino sound. <laughs> ching-chang. <laughs> you remember Dana's character? No, I don't. I, I don't think he did it anymore by the time you were on. Oh, he can't yeah. do it. Oh. He couldn't do it today. Not today. No. He played the sweetest guy who looked like Jerry Lewis pre-elixir and Nutty oh, Professor. Oh, wait. I think I do know this character. And he ran a pet shop. Yes. And people came in to buy the chickens, and he hated the chickens till somebody came in and the doorbell rang, and he would show them the chickens, and then they would want to buy a chicken, and <laughs> And then you'd find out he had a name for each chicken, and they had a cantankerous relationship, but he loved them. And it, it always ended with him looking up at the people, and you sure you won't buy this? I'm sorry. I know it's the end of the world. If you're Asian and you're on a ledge, I'm sorry. This is the character. And uh, uh, you don't want to buy this. Chicken make lousy house pet. <laughs> that was the tagline. And we were talking, though. I talked to Carve the most, and I was saying, you know, really? if you did Ching Chang today, brother, you would be in a, yeah. a you'd, you'd be in a, uh, the, the blocks in town square, man. They'd have you in there like the witches in Salem or something. But at the time, it was a sweet character. I choose to remember it from those times. I think I we know. have to just say what happened in the past happened in the past. There's some new rules, and if you start doing that, now you're in trouble, but not litigate the past. Right. Would that there were some new rules, but there is a entire code of Hammurabi, it would seem to me, of new rules. Christ, it's a minefield out there. I just end up not talking to people. I look. Really? I, I, I don't. What do you uh, mean? Why? For what reason? I'm just saying when I'm out and about, if somebody asks to take a photo, oh, I, right. I don't put, uh, I don't touch them. 
Oh, I know. Um, well, I know. I, God, I, I what just happened to Al Franken? I can't even. I didn't sleep for two months. I, I was saw so Al angry last about week. It. Yeah, and uh, no, I had dinner with him too. I mean, it's and but it's not because I'm friends with him because I'm not really friends with him. I'm, I'm acquaintances with him, like I am with you. Like I have fond memories, but I'm not like my outrage over that is not a, because of my. I would feel this way just as a citizen. Right. Well, I've just disengaged like, from all that, and if somebody gets a little too friendly, I just. Thank you, and I smile. And uh, if I, if I somebody comes up to me and we disagree politically, whatever they say, if if they are so strident or so in the moment that they want to tell me their politics after I've known them for eight seconds, I always think my alarm goes off. So when they get to the end of it, I I say that's that's so weird. That's my exact thoughts. And I say, do you know where the bathroom is? And I move. <laughs> I, I don't give anything. It's jujitsu. Okay, I'm just not going to give them the opinion, energy. And I know you want it on both those things. Yeah. On the first part. <laughs> I would say it's right to not touch people. I think it is too loaded right now, and it's too fraud, and nobody knows what the rules are. And well, rules are and crazy. It, or well, it's what the norms are. And I'm not talking about no McDonald's. <laughs> okay, um, no, but I I agree. Like it's terrifying um, to see. So, I would say 90% of all that stuff is legitimate and fantastic, and there needs to be a huge cultural shift. 10% of it is completely absurd and ruins what's good about the other stuff. I put Al Franken in that category. That was completely absurd. Every single allegation was a ridiculous thing, I think. Um, but on the second half of what you said, I think you should be debating these people politically. Oh, no. Really? Could Why not? Less. 65. Uh, if I get 85, I'm happy. Yeah, but you care about the country. Don't you want to don't you want to make sure that your idea, you know, as I get older, I care less about uh, the collective, quite honestly. I'm a bit of an objectivist. Well, I, I hope you, you stop voting. Your own ship. And, uh, you know, I think okay, uh, this is my new initiative. No voting over 70. You know why you're not so. going to be around. It's not for you Alyssa, anymore. I think the voting age should be moved out to 70. I do. I don't think you should vote until no. you're 70 years old. Listen, I, I, I just say bring I, it down to 15. Those I'm are the people as, that are going to inherit the world. Yeah, <laughs> then well, you get to 70. You know, it's gravy after that. For no, people. no, let's take why it down do you to even 14. Care? And they can have a paper towel dispenser before they go into the booth. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't get my van details when I was 14, much less figure out how to vote. Uh, all I know is this. I'm disinterested, by and large, in the, uh, like I said, a big sign for me is if I'm with somebody and within the first few minutes, they right. want to talk politics. But that's because of you. Because you were known as such a I liberal never do in, everyone, in I, everyone's mind. And then you had such a dramatic change that people I freak, had, freaked out. I don't even want to explain that I haven't had that much of a change. I've always been a uh, I know. You're uh, like pragmatist. Bob Dylan. He never even was a Christian. Well, I've been a pragmatist <laughs> my whole life. And right now, certain things don't make sense to me. And I I just choose. All right. Well, like I, I hope I said, we end this podcast on this awkward note. No, no, yeah. we don't end it. I'm just saying when people come up to me and want to talk politics, I just say, what are your deepest beliefs on it? And then they say it. And I go, that's so weird. That's mine. I got to go. I don't and like that. They, I'm, I know you don't, but do I can't tell you how this? good that feels okay. to me. Okay, no. See, this is the same argument that I had with my daughter about what to say in certain situations. Just say, I think I disagree with you, but I don't want to discuss it. How about that? Because then you're not saying, I think it's kind of mean to say like, oh, I feel the same as you. They know you don't feel the same as them. So you're just saying, you're basically saying, screw I think, you. I think mean gets a bad rap. <laughs> I, th I think in a world okay, you, I agree with I you I actually agree with all you all I know is that there are people in the streets right now who have love in their hearts and want you dead if you're not as loving as they are and that's a weird place to be that's 
That's so funny. Well, it's the truth. I know. That's why you got to get I don't want to go. I don't want to go get, uh, you know, do a comedy act somewhere and have a joke cause a youngster to put a bike rack through a student union pane glass window. It just doesn't interest me anymore. They can do what they want. I, I do what I want. Yeah, what I, I want to do is be completely disinterested in uh, Okay. Well, I'm so happy you have so many formats. The <laughs> Larry King show and your podcast. Everything you're saying means that you should just be a Montecito watching well, movies, listen, which I think is a good idea. I do a street mummishons <laughs> thing every week, and I cry the toilet paper tears about my loss of friendship. Okay, but I think this is my argument, my plea. Just yeah. say I disagree with you, but I don't want to get into it. Not going to happen. But you're a good dame, but not going to happen. <laughs> and you know where we should circle back to, because you didn't want to end on that note. We didn't yes. actually get the accounting story, which well, uh, it has we know to be real quick. Yeah. Oh, it, yes. it has to be. Uh, I, I put her on the spot. Second no, I put, I put you on the spot. I don't think you want to tell it again, but she saved uh, Utah. Frank story. Capra. No, well, I became an accountant. Participation accounting is oh, what dear. is called that at Columbia Pictures. And then I worked at United Artists, too. Um, and I f was doing the old. So it was terrible how they were ripping off people mm -hmm. because what they did is what this one home video just began. And so what they did is they created a separate company called Columbia Home Video that only reported 20 percent of its profits to Columbia Pictures. And that's right. all we included. In, and there was all sorts of lawsuits. And they eventually had to pay people, but they tried to hide money. Right. That was the whole thing was hiding geniuses money. in hiding money. And so I was get, I was starting to realize that this company is really just all about trying to figure out how to keep money. And I was a, a big movie fan and a huge fan of Frank, Frank Capra. And I could order the original contracts. And I realized that Frank Capra's movies, which he did at Columbia, were all what's called cross-collateralized, which means that if It's a Wonderful Life made a million dollars in profit, but Lost Horizon lost half a million dollars in profit, you you collateralize them. So he only would earn his percentage on the average, you know, like of his movies, Wow, which is a weird, a weird thing. Trip. So I went and ordered each original contract. I read through each one and realized that there's no, there was just a custom of doing the accounting that way and no one had caught it. So I, de I went through and took apart all the accounting for all the movies and it ended up that he was owed about $150,000 from the studio and I got it approved and then I wrote, I got I got permission from my boss, Sue Peter, who's still my friend, to write a personal letter to Frank Capra saying, it's a wonderful life when you get right. $150,000 or something like that. I used all the names of his movies right. in my thing and then I sent it off and of course I never heard anything from it but then many years later my friend Joe McBride was writing a biography of Frank Capra uh -huh. And he was going around with Frank Capra and he actually drove, he was, Frank Capra was living in La Quinta out in the desert and he had his own home theater there. And Joe took me there and oh we watched Lost Horizon with Frank Capra oh in his own screening room in his house. And um, Joe said that when, so Joe said that Frank allowed him to go through all his files and he found that letter oh, in the file. Cool. And there was a note like that was lovely. Well, you've like, got some wild yeah. stories between the pitching and wooing of the husband and the, all these circuitous yeah, routes. Yeah. That is so, so trippy. And so I got to meet him. And then actually he wrote, oh, this is when I was deciding to be an actress. So I met, so he had written his autobiography called The Name Above the Title. Mm -hmm. And he he wrote it to me and he said something like, don't be an actress. 
<laughs> it's a terrible oh. business or something like it's a difficult business or something like that. So I have Frank Capra writing me that in this book. That's unbelievable. And then, of now, course, I had to be an actress then. Yeah. There's no good Prince of Lost Horizon. Did he have one? There's there's scenes um, that were not taken yes, care of. That's right. And they had to they had to insert it together. I think it wasn't it wasn't that great. Like there were things yeah, missing so and stuff like that. So he didn't have it. So I think he was. I think one of the reasons we watched it was for Joe to see it, but also to see what was left. Like how could they preserve what they could find? Yeah. It's yeah. funny. There's a couple of films like that. Star is Born with James Mason, Judy Garland, oh, yeah, and so Lost Horizon. They have to do these awkward, like, South Park uh, edits oh, where they just... Out. Yeah. yeah, where they... <laughs> I did. just recently watched um, A Star is Born again because when the movie came out, I wanted to watch all the Star is Borns. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's the best one. Yeah. She when she's singing, stunning. when he comes in and he sees her... Like, there's... That's, like, one of the great... I'm going to start the crying. Takes my breath away. Oh my God! I and the easy right pianist—he's not trying too hard. He's definitely accompanying her, but I he's know. got a little bit of a crush on her. But I know. all of a sudden, the big movie star just moved into the and room. Him, and also, she's so magnetic. I mean, like she's just a star. Who's playing like, her now? Somebody's playing her. Uh, I saw. Oh, Renee Zellweger. I saw a picture of her the other day. They've got a movie coming out, a biopic, and Renee Zellweger plays her when she's in that Elaine Stritch hosiery you know white what? Oxford shirt. That's and, actually good casting. Yeah, I think. she looked. Uh, she, in, she, in, like she looked eerie yeah. in the uh, in the picture. So I think, I hope it's going to be good because she was a. You know, I was watching her the other night in Wizard of Oz. They had it on TCM, and I just thought, 16 years old, and I, I can't know. believe she knows where to inflict the pathos into the song. I mean, the song's beautiful, I but I think Somewhere Over the Rainbow was out there for a long time before yeah. she, you know, nailed it like that for all of time. Okay, um, can I tell you one last story? Yeah. You can cut it out. What do but you it's mean? A, I love your stories. It's the Wizard of Oz story, because oh. while I was in Chicago, I got involved with this refugee group, and I mentored this refugee family from Aleppo, Syria, that was fleeing and they just became like my family anyway and they were learning English and I was showing them silent films because I had a home theater in my house go slow I have to process this you're going too fast I'm mentoring a Syrian family from Aleppo they spent a little time in a Turkish Christian do you know that he was the six marks brother anyway He was the one that, that uh, only talked with the horn. Okay, now I'm Don't thinking this is a dumb story it. to tell. <laughs> no, no, no. Anyway, no. I, they're learning English. So it's two parents in their late 40s, and three of their four children came with them from the Turkish refugee camp. I brought them from the airport to their new apartment. And then me, along with a couple of other women, were getting them in schools, helping them learn English, doing everything. we. And they also had a lot of medical issues. Anyway, this is not the point. I thought, okay, we'll watch silent films because I have every Buster Keaton on Blu-ray. I have every, you know, Charlie Chaplin. And that's a perfect thing to watch when you don't know the language because then it's just the title cards and you don't need to know the English. No, and the fact that they can't hear the words is... That's right, particular charity on top, but that's, <laughs> that's linguistic exactly. Sunday. No, it's true. So then they do learn English, and I'm thinking, what can I show them that Scarface? Would, like, what do you need to see as an American? What makes you an American? The Wizard of Oz. It's referred to constantly mm-hmm. in American culture. So I said, okay, I'm going to show you the Wizard of Oz. It's going to be so great. So we made this night. They all came over. We start watching the movie. <laughs> I realize this is a terrible movie to show people who've just fled Aleppo, Syria. It's a movie about a girl whose hometown gets completely destroyed. She gets hit on the head and goes to a crazy technicolor land where people are just singing at her all the time. We're off to see the mullah. I know. And all all Dorothy keeps saying is there's no place like home. There's no place like home. And I would look down and they were like, there's no place like home. home." And then I was like, oh my God, oh my God. 
traumatized. Is this like story in one of the shows? It is in a little bit, a little part of no, it. No, I'm yeah. telling you, and we'll, we we have to wrap, but okay. um, you, you have to get a podcast. Catholicism, spreading the seed of doubt. Yeah, okay, I'm telling you, uh, once you're out here around 10 weeks in a row and you go, don't you hear me? Catholicism. Catholic, <laughs> and you're like 15 weeks in. I'm telling you, you should just call whatever you want, but you should just come on. And extrapolate like this. I mean, you are brilliant at this. Oh, you're you so would have sweet. so many I would listeners. Love it. I would love it. Well, First of all, I'm a podcast maniac myself. All I do is podcast. <laughs> Including the Dennis Miller option on Westwood Thank One. You, yes, of course. <laughs> Always be closing if you want the knife set. <laughs> yes. No, I do. I do love it. Well, I do you, love the podcast. You could be huge at this. I'm telling you, you're so good at this. <laughs> I mean that. Well, I would you're, like you're, to you're do. You're entertaining. I, and, I know, but I. Just don't make it I'm, always. I'm listen, not religious. And that's what it, that's what interests me the okay. most. Though. Well, well, and science. It, that's not going to work. Religion and science. Week out, Religion and science. Ha ha! But some of your stories are fun too. <laughs> I would call it Julia Sweeney: Religion, Science, Catholicism, and some funny stories. <laughs> <laughs> Just throw that on. People like funny stuff. I, I know I sound like the guy oh. in uh, Annie Hall. Well, the world looks wonderful from here. <laughs> and the sky looks, but throw in a couple funny stories. Okay, my husband this morning, because I'm going to do a show at Largo, and I'm interviewing a scientist during the show, and he said, you should call it LSD Laughs and Serious Discussion. There you go. You're here to have your LSD. And when you celebrate your silver <laughs> anniversary, LSD 25. All right. I'm so happy to be with you today. Yeah, it's good to Dennis, see you. Dennis, I Give love you. Hug. Okay. Thanks for listening to the Dennis Miller Option, exclusively on Westwood One. Tune in to new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday on the Westwood One app, westwoodone.com, and on Apple Podcasts. And remember to rate, review, and share. Until next time, that's the show, and we are out of here. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.